0: Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. If I could ask people to sit up for the talk. Appreciate it. Looking at your experience mm-hmm. moment after moment. you might have noticed that there are a few different flavors of experience that are common in each moment. One possible flavor is a pleasant experience. you are calm and settled or feeling somewhat concentrated or mindful. And it's nice. Another possible flavor is an unpleasant experience. Body pain, mind pain. And then the third possibility is a neutral experience. The tendency of the mind with each of these experiences is to react in a certain way. With the pleasant, to hold on to it. I like it. I want it to stay here, with the unpleasant to contract against it, to feel some aversion, try to push it away, with the neutral to space out or be bored and then look for something else to interest the mind. The way the practice works is to very directly deal with these reactions so that they're not as strong in dealing with these different possible experiences. Because the attachment and the aversion and the spacing out or forgetting all are causes of more pain. suffering in the mind. On the first few days of a retreat, the flavor that's most predominant, and for many people, is the aversion. It's not easy to all of a sudden become still, for the body to maintain itself in stillness, for the mind to slow down after it's been racing around out in the world, and aversion becomes fairly apparent to most people. Boredom, restlessness, sleepiness, scattered mind, anger, fear, pain, one after another sometimes. And you might find yourself asking, asking the question, is this what I came here for? Am I in for another seven and a half days of this? And things change. But learning to deal with the aversion is a very central part of the practice because the reactions that we put on top of our experience just intensify them and just make them more solid and more difficult to to see through, to see clearly. Aversion hurts. There are lots of different reasons that it it might be present. Maybe there's pain in the body. Maybe your energy is low, and so you're not as uh, able to be present for an unpleasant experience. Maybe the mood that you happen to be experiencing at that time filters the moment. Maybe there's an attachment to something pleasant and you start to see it change and you start to get worried that it's gone for good. Maybe there's fear in the mind. Perhaps you start to get in touch with places inside that you weren't so willing to look at before thought were safely hidden, and as they start to come up, are unpleasant to see. So there are lots of different reasons for it. There are also lots of a number of different directions that the aversion in the mind can take. One direction is back towards ourself. We start getting down on ourselves, judging ourselves, start condemning ourselves, and it's very difficult to deal with that, that mind state. Sometimes it's noticing that the aversion starts going outward to other people. You might find in certain situations like meal times or group walks, uh, all of a sudden these mind, mind moments of, why is that person doing it like that? Oh God, what a slob! You might find yourself having aversion <clears throat> to the situation, to, to fate that brought you here, or that it's unfair that you're experiencing what you're experiencing. And if it's strongly conditioned, these patterns become filters for our perception, both in the meditation and out in the world. The the retreat is like a microcosm of life, and we can see how our reactions affect us, see them clearly under the microscope in the laboratory of the retreat, and then start to get more of an understanding of how they work out in the world. If the pattern of directing the aversion towards ourselves is strong, the self-image gets more dense and more condemning. If we have a habit of looking outward, there's the, there's the developing of the pattern of putting the blame out there on others, putting them down. It's their fault. If we have the pattern of directing the aversion towards life and it becomes very, very strong, can develop a very strong complaining mind so that each situation is met with a complaint and Self-pity, why does this happen- have to happen to me? All of those directions and aversion itself is rooted in judgments and expectations about how we think things should be. The conditioning is very deep. Until we can start to cut through the conditioning or see it more clearly, we're lost in it the real knot is resistance to what's actually happening. Things are the way they are, and we can either open up and explore them as they are, or we can resist them and wish they were different. It's a choice that we have in each moment. But until we can accept and open the resistance causes just more contraction and more suffering. So the practice is very much one of learning to open to experience. I want to read a short passage from from a, a book that I've enjoyed very much. If you find this path very difficult and seeming like it's too much for you, you might pick up at the end of the retreat, The Lazy Man's Guide to Enlightenment. Has a lot of good things in it. There's a passage on opening. The basic function of each being is expanding and contracting. Expanded beings are permeative, contracted beings are dense and impermeative. Therefore, each of us, alone or in combination, may appear as space, energy, Or mass, depending on the ratio of expansion to contraction chosen, and what kind of vibrations each of us expresses by alternating expansion and contraction. Each being controls his own vibrations. A completely expanded being is space. We experience expansion as awareness, comprehension, understanding, Or whatever we wish to call it. When we're completely expanded, we have a feeling of total awareness of being one with all life. At that level, we have no resistance to any vibrations or interactions of other beings. It is timeless bliss with unlimited choice of consciousness, perception, and feeling. When a being is totally contracted, he or she is a mass particle, completely imploded. To the degree that he is contracted, a being is unable to be in the same space with others. So contraction is felt as fear, pain, unconsciousness, ignorance, hatred, evil, and a whole host of strange feelings. At an extreme, He has the feeling of being completely insane, of being unable to choose the content of his consciousness. Of course, these are just the feelings appropriate to mass vibration levels, and he can get out of them at any time by expanding, by letting go of all resistance to what he thinks, sees, or feels. What we're learning to do here is to open up and let go of the resistance by seeing it clearly. And the way I see that opening, the process begins with the quality of forgiveness. Because until we can forgive, we're... Complaining and contracting and condemning and judging. And it's really the antidote to the complaining mind. It's very powerful forgiveness. Think of of how it feels when you're really holding on to some anger to somebody and somehow the knot gets released and you open up to allow them back in your heart. It's wonderful, it's very powerful. Forgiveness isn't just putting up with things, tolerating them, letting them be the way they are and kind of gritting your teeth. It's an active letting go and embracing your experience. And like aversion, it has different levels and different directions that it can take. Aversion can be directed back towards oneself, and so can forgiveness. In fact, the practice really starts with forgiving ourselves. There's a tendency that many of us have to expect that we should be perfect, that we should do it just right. I have a perfectionist streak in me, it used to be a lot more intense than it is now, but it's still, still quite present every now and then, I'm a bit lighter about it. But a few years ago it dawned on me that <clears throat> perfectionists can only break even. If you do it all perfectly, just end up saying, no, that was good, yeah, did it fine. And if you do it anything less than perfectly, you've blown it. And then you start judging yourself. It's a no-win situation. There's a wonderful piece of wisdom in, uh, in what's called the Third Zen Patriarch Verses on the Faith Mind. It says, to live in this realization, to live in harmony, is to be without anxiety, about non-perfection. Think of the feeling that there is when you can let yourself not be perfect, but just be who you are. It's a great lightening of the load. And if you don't do that, you're in for a lot of trouble, especially when you start sitting and seeing all the yuck that's in there. I once heard Trungpa Rinpoche, this Tibetan teacher, talk about practice. He said, meditation practice is one insult after another. (laughs) And if you can have a sense of humor about it, that's a big part of the, the battle. If you're judging all the insults that come, As he also said, good luck, sir. In the sitting practice, there's pain that comes up. How do we deal with the pain? Can you forgive your shoulders? Can you appreciate the way they're just doing the best they can? If you contract around what you're experiencing, you just make things worse. So one way to deal with pain that comes up and learning to forgive it is to have a soft attitude around it. It's really the key. Say you have a pain in your shoulders. Check out the rest of your body. Is it tightening up out of fear? Uh Uh-oh, what if this gets worse? because that can just intensify the whole experience and you become one big knot. What you'd want to do is soften the rest of your your body, relax the rest of it, remember to breathe because often we cut our breath off out of fear and that again just bottles up the energy. Really pain is a wonderful friend. To the meditation practice. It might seem strange to hear that now. But for one thing, your mind doesn't wander very much when you're having an intense sensation, an intense, intense pain. So all this time you're trying to be present and you're spacing out and then you have a sharp pain. Instead of thinking, oh goodness, how did this get here? You might have the attitude, oh, far out, I'm not going anywhere now. I am. Another thing that it, that it does that enhances, enriches the practice is it opens up our limits of what we, can, what we can handle. And when we're not locked in the concept of pain in the mind, but just look at the sensation, the actual experience of sensation, we see it's constantly changing. And you start to dissolve that concept that you're reacting to. We're going to work with pain in a more detailed way starting tomorrow in the instructions. But when it's here, this is a little preview, some things that you can start to notice. Where's the center of it? Where are the edges? How far does it go? Does it have a temperature? Is it hot? Is it cool? Is it pulsing? Is it moving around? Does it have feelers, tendrils? Just by investigating on a moment-to-moment level a sensation, that whole concept, pain, becomes less solid, and you can actually be present for your experience and see that your abilities to, to open up to it, to explore it, are a lot greater than you might think. So forgiving yourself for the pain in your body. Forgiving yourself for the way the practice is going. I should be doing better. If you're doing the best you can, can you do any better? If you're putting in sincere effort, that's all you need to do. Let the Dharma take care of the rest. Just to put in that sincere effort and let it be however it is, that's the key. To put in your effort and to keep it light. if you have an image of what you're supposed to be like when you get through with this, or where this is leading to, you might let go of the image. Because if we went around and asked everybody's images, we'd probably get about 70 different responses of what I'm supposed to look like when I'm enlightened. I'll tell a story that that I like a lot about a party that happened a few years ago when a Zen master came over to America and a number of different Zen masters were invited from around the country. Somebody who was at the party was talking later and said, some of the Zen masters were just super precise in everything that they did, they just oozed mindfulness. And some others were just casually hanging out like, like anyone else. And some other Zen masters were wildly cavorting around, just having a grand time. They were all Zen masters. Who was the real Zen master? There's no one way to be. And it's a great relief to realize you don't have to be like anyone else or have any image of how you're supposed to be. In fact, all you need to do is be yourself, and you can do it better than anyone else. So it's just to discover who we really are and let it unfold naturally. My image of of the practice is this Walt Disney time-lapse photography of this flower unfolding, where all these flowers just just opening. We don't have to be like the next flower. It can only be our own beauty. We might have some judgments about the conditioning, the mind stuff that we see, our reactions. The conditioning is very deep to judge, to condemn, And when you start to see just how deep it is, you start to lighten up about it. A few years ago, I was doing a retreat in the center in Massachusetts. It was a three-month retreat. And it was about two months into the retreat, and I was quite slow, quite concentrated. And... (laughs) I'm sorry you want... And the, the practice was going quite, quite well. And I was making an experiment this one evening in the gym to see how slow I could go. And at this time, I hadn't been walking at a normal pace for about four or five weeks. And I was just going to see just how slowly I could go, take like about half an hour to get from one side of the gym to the other. I was all alone in the gym, so I wasn't bothered by anyone else around. And in the middle of this walk, somebody came down the stairs in the gym who had just recently arrived on a retreat. Because it was a two-week retreat within that three months, and you can feel the energy when somebody new comes. And I knew it was going to seem like a a bizarre sight to this person, but I wasn't going to let them change my, my space. And sure enough, after a few minutes, maybe four or five minutes, this person, after trying to do the walking meditation, kind of bolted out of the the gym in frustration. And just as they were passing by, a thought went through my mind, far out. I really blew her mind. And if I hadn't been aware enough, it probably would have just zipped in and out. But because I was somewhat stiller than, than I usually am, I saw it and just opened up this vast space of competition, looking good, and from that slow walking meditation, I turned to a pacing meditation and just, how could I get out of this mind? It was really discouraging for a few minutes, and then I saw just how deep it is. There was nothing for me to do but appreciate with compassion how deep the conditioning is. When you can start to relate to the enormity of the task that you have, and start to lighten up about all the different things that you see, and be be kind to yourself, be gentle with yourself, The key is not identifying with the different thoughts that come through the mind. You don't invite them in, they just come in on their own. And if we don't resist and react to them, they pass on their own as well. When we're not identified, we can be balanced behind whatever thought comes through the mind. I'd like to read passage by uh, Ajahn Chah, who is Jack's teacher, a wonderful meditation teacher in Thailand, about identification with thoughts. He says, about this mind, in truth, it isn't really anything. It's just a phenomenon. Within itself, it's already peaceful. That the mind is not peaceful, is because it follows moods. The real mind doesn't have anything to it. It's simply an aspect of nature. It becomes peaceful or agitated because moods deceive it. The untrained mind is stupid. Sense impressions come and trick it into happiness, suffering, gladness, and sorrow. But the mind's true nature is none of those things. That gladness or sadness is not the mind, but only a mood coming to deceive us. The untrained mind gets lost and follows these things. It forgets itself. Then we think that it is we who are upset or at ease or whatever. But really this mind of ours is already unmoving and peaceful really peaceful, just like a a leaf which is still as long as no wind blows. If a wind comes up, the leaf flutters. The fluttering is due to the wind. The fluttering is due to those sense impressions. The mind follows them. If we know fully the true nature of sense impressions, we are unconcerned. If it doesn't follow them, it doesn't flutter. Our practice is simply to see the original mind. So we must train the mind to know those sense impressions and not get lost in them, to make it peaceful. Just this is the aim of all this difficult practice we put ourselves through. So as we see these different reactions in the mind to the unpleasant, and start having some compassion around them and identifying with them less, we see it's not just my mind. It's not Jamie's mind. It's the mind that we all share. And as we can understand our own minds better, we see how the mind works and start to understand how it works in other people And identify less with the different thoughts that come through. So, forgiving ourselves is where the practice starts. As we develop that more, it carries over and develops forgiving with others. The more we can forgive ourselves, the more we are able to forgive others. On the retreat, you might have noticed different reactions to what you see around you. There's a phenomenon known as the Vipassana Vendetta, where somebody just somehow bugs you, no matter what they do, the way they walk, the way they sit down, the way they eat. It's interesting to see those reactions of mind and see what they do to us and to have some lightness around it. Forgiving others starts with understanding. First seeing where we're touched inside when we see that person. Often, if we see somebody doing things that we don't like to look in ourselves. That sets off the aversion. Oh, such a klutz. I'm glad I'm not a klutz. Oh, I hope I don't drop this. Another thing to relate to is seeing how our judgments and expectations of others color our way of relating to them. Ramdas has this this good um, example of going into a forest and looking at the different trees. and Some trees are tall and straight and strong, and others are gnarled and, and bent and old with age, and some are young saplings. And when you walk through the forest, each tree is just how it is. and You don't usually go around saying, oh, if only that gnarled tree was a little bit straighter. It's okay for it all to be the way it is but somehow when we get back in the world it's not okay for everybody to be just the way they are. Oh, if only she didn't talk so much or if only he cut his hair differently or wore different clothes. And all those judgments color how we relate to the people. If you can see if you can see the difficulties, the aversions that you have, in your interactions with people, as opportunities to grow, then you don't have to try to fix anyone up, but just just start exploring your own holding patterns, so to speak, because the the places that you get touched are really places that you can explore your own fears and vulnerability. And so it's really a gift. We're given just who we need in our cast of characters to wake up. If you need to work on jealousy, have a an intense relationship. Need to work on patience, you might have some children. Uh, Need to work on authority, have a boss that is always telling you what to do. And how can we relate to that with openness and grow from it, learn from it? There are special relationships in in our life that sometimes make it particularly tough or particularly tough areas to forgive. That is, very close relationships. Sometimes it's easier to forgive other people but when it comes to someone that you're in a primary relationship or close relative, parent or a child, it's not quite as easy because we have a lot invested in that person. A few years ago, well, actually when I was, before I got involved in the Vipassana practice, had an interview with with Ramdas, who was one of my first teachers was the first time I had an interaction with him, and I had been carrying around the pain of this particular relationship Mm -hmm. that had ended almost a year before. I started talking about the relationship Mm -hmm. in the uh, interview, and after a while he said, you know, you're a real romantic. Mm -hmm. And I said, yep, I'm really romantic. Mm -hmm. He said, no, but you're a real romantic. And the way he said it the second time made me think, well, what do you mean by that? He said, well, it's interesting how everybody else is the Buddha, and you can just let it all unfold the way, the way it is, <clears throat> but when it comes to Maria, then it's a different story. It's not, it's not this Maria, by Long ago and far away <clears throat> it's, it was true that somehow this special package couldn't I couldn't let unfold just the way she was they' not realizing that this being is working out their own karma and reacting in just the ways that that their conditioning has led them. And when you start to see, think, or if you start relating to others and thinking that that person has the, the key to your love or the power over you, is very dangerous because you've given your power and your love up. What What you see when you really look clearly is that that person opens up the love that's inside of you. And so to come back to your own source of the love, and taking responsibility for your own reactions and your own ideas about how you think it's supposed to be, and to let that person be who they are, just opening in their own way. When you can start to slip into another person's mind, you see that people do actions, whether they're unskillful or not what you'd like them to be, because they make sense to them at a particular time. For whatever the reason, a person had a reason for doing the way, the thing that they did. It might be out of ignorance or fear or attachment, but it made sense to them. And when we can start to slip into their minds and see with understanding, what the source of their actions were, then there's the chance for some forgiveness. And then there's opening to compassion. Really, the forgiveness cultivates understanding and the understanding (coughs) cultivates more forgiveness. If you can't forgive yourself for being angry, sorry, if you can't forgive the other person for what they've done, then you might start by forgiving yourself for not forgiving them, for just holding on to that pattern and being causing more suffering for yourself. So, forgiving others, forgiving yourself. <clears throat> the third area. That I'd like to talk about last area of forgiveness is what I call forgiving the Dharma, which is really the ultimate area of forgiveness. Kind kind of sounds funny if you're familiar with the the word Dharma, the truth, reality. In my mind, I kind of think of, of it as the perfection of the universe. Just how it all seems to hold together and unfold perfectly. And yet, every time we have a complaining mind, why is this happening to me? It's because we're not forgiving the Dharma, forgiving the unfolding. Trungpa Rinpoche, again, who's a very quotable person, once heard him talk about about this, he said, if there's a conflict between you and the Dharma, Chances are the problem doesn't lie with the Dharma. (laughs) So, it's a chance to take a look and see what we have, what our expectations are with this situation that we're dealt with. And to see that each situation that presents itself is workable. It's a chance to wake up, to grow. If we keep on reacting to difficult situations with the attitude of, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, that's what gets cultivated. If we react to it with, hmm, far out. Where's the lesson in this one? Then we can start to open up to it. And then it becomes our ally again, just like, just like the pain in the meditation. And you don't know what it is that's happening now, just what it's going to lead to. It might be just what you need to wake up, if you relate to it properly. So, Another favorite story, I'm telling a lot of stories tonight, I hope I'm not hogging, thanks for the retreat. One of my favorite stories has to do with this farmer in China, who's considered a very fortunate man. He has a, a horse and a young son that are able to till not only his own land, but surrounding neighbors' lands, and became quite wealthy. <clears throat> One day, the horse ran off and the people in the town heard about it, and they said, did you hear about him? How unfortunate. Oh. Now he won't be able to to make any money. How unfortunate this man is. A few days later, the horse comes back and has befriended a wild mare who comes back with him. So now he's got two horses. The people in town hear about it. They start talking how fortunate this guy is. How lucky. Now he can do twice the amount of work and get twice as rich his son goes into goes on the mare to break her in so that he can train her and help out with the work and in the process gets thrown and breaks his leg people in town hear about it and say oh how unfortunate that old man can't do the work by himself now he'll certainly lose a lot of money <clears throat> a few days later king's army comes in Recruiting all the young men in town for a war that's happening hundreds of miles away in distant province. Everyone's recruited except, you guessed it. How fortunate this guy is. You could keep on filling in the, uh, the story and on and on and on. You don't know. Unfortunate, fortunate, unfortunate, fortunate. And if you look back on your life... The things that were most difficult very often have led to the biggest openings. Well, gee, if it hadn't been for that, then that wouldn't have led me to this one, or to start looking at, at other, other thoughts, other ideas. And the pain in our lives is a great teacher. Forgiving the Dharma really means letting go of trying to control how things are of how you think things should be. And that takes a certain amount of trust, because we're we're used to holding on and trying to manipulate, trying to to create our own perfect reality. It doesn't work. Have you been able to control your life? To some extent, maybe, doing things that that felt right to do. things don't often work out exactly how we planned, but somehow they're they're unfolding in their own perfect time and rhythm. And so forgiving the Dharma is trusting and letting go of the control and just watching the show, seeing how it unfolds, and being here for it. Forgiving ourselves, forgiving others, forgiving the Dharma the practice is cultivating in each moment that quality of forgiveness which can then lead to acceptance and embracing and investigating exploring and more understanding how is it when you see that your mind has wandered what's your what's your reaction at the encounter, which is really the crucial encounter. Does it react, oh darn, wandering again, get back over here, with a jerk? That just cultivates more judgment, more tension, more frustration. Does it react, hmm, this is a very interesting thought, let me see where this one leads me. and on and on and on and maybe ten minutes later, oh, wandering again. Okay, get back over here. Don't get seduced by the thoughts. If you can start reacting or dealing, responding to that that moment with, oh, wandering, the wandering mind, okay, come on back, right now, letting go of everything that's happened, where your mind has been, how long it's been away, how you're doing, Just starting in that moment, in this moment without the slightest bit of condemnation about what's happening, you're cultivating forgiveness, patience, acceptance, awareness. Awareness is a light touch, it's not a struggle, it's not heavy handed. Can you be soft around your experience? around the pains in your body, around the different mind states that arise. It's just one moment away, no matter how far down you go, in the depths of suffering, suffering. it's just one thought away, this is okay, this is okay too, let me open up to this. When you're not resisting, which just feeds the difficulties, you can open up and explore and investigate. When you can allow things to be the way they are, instead of fighting them, then you can open up to the Dharma and there's the possibility of balance of mind behind the highs and the lows and peace. And wisdom, by seeing clearly the nature of thought, which is emptiness. And of compassion, seeing how deep the conditioning is, and not identifying with it as my mind, but seeing it as the mind. And of forgiveness for the way things are. So, Mm -hmm. if there are any questions, either about the talk or Mm -hmm. things happening in practice. I, I didn't catch the last... With the DMV? Uh, when you're dealing with patients, mm. when you're cultivating patients, how do you deal with the DMV and bureaucracy? And somebody else said, visit India. Mm. Actually, it's a perfect time to practice patience. Mm. You might find that the more agitated you become, the less likely the person behind the counter is going to be doing what you want them to do. I find that myself, or you might look the next time you go down to the DMV, people who get really frustrated and and agitated. What's your reaction when somebody says to you, come on, get your act together. Why aren't you doing it better? Is it wanting to help them out? Okay. So are they getting what they wanted? What's your reaction when somebody says, I really appreciate how difficult your job is. Um, it must be really hard there. Yeah. And I really appreciate your helping me. Is your reaction going to be the same? My reaction and reaction. I tried don't know where Okay. Well, you might look in your own mind and see how it feels when you get agitated. It might even get what you want as far as the, the, final, the final action, but what price are you paying for it? Where's the rush? It doesn't mean to just be a zombie and let things happen to you and know well, that's, that's fine. When you see that there's that there's a need for responding to a situation and dealing with it firmly, then by all means, that's that's part of that's part of your intuitive understanding. But there's a difference between responding appropriately to the situation from a centered space and reacting out of anger and negativity, which just Puts more of that energy into the into the system, and seeing what it does in your own your own mind, it's just cultivating those reactions and those patterns. It's never too late. Yeah. dealing with other people's anger towards you or situations. Or to- or situations. <clears throat> when people are angry they're stuck in a particular mind state and it's very difficult, you know, there's a lot of pain in that mind state. If you look at somebody, for instance, if I'm dealing with someone Who's has who has a habit pattern of being real angry and just reacting and very difficult to deal with, I think, well oh, gee, that must be real hard to be in that mind state all the time. I just need to deal with them when I'm with them, but they're stuck in that. That's a lot of pain and suffering. And to have compassion for the suffering that they're they're causing themselves is probably a lot creates a lot more space than adding more anger in your own of your own to put onto the system because if you just me- bring more anger to it there's just going to be cultivating more resistance but having some compassion for the mind states that they're experiencing and the meditation really shows the potential that we all have for anger you know you'll probably get in touch with one or two mind moments of anger in the retreat We all have it, and some people cultivate it exquisitely, to a very finely honed degree. And that's unfortunate. What you can do is bring more openness and compassion to the situation, and perhaps give them a space, a safe space, to operate in possibly a different way. The question was looking at how deep the conditioning is, it, it seems overwhelming at times. And she has the thought well, what's the point of it all? And what's, what's enlightenment about, or is it even possible? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In every moment that you're being mindful, there's enlightenment. In every moment that you're with your experience, without judging it, without grasping it if it's pleasant, without the attachment, without pushing it away or avoiding it if it's unpleasant, and without identifying with it as being who you are, but just watching it as the unfolding moment's experience, that's freedom. You're not caught up in your reactions and that's possible for all of us. There have probably been, probably everyone here sometime today experienced that mindfulness. Oh, just the breath coming in and going out. It's not adding that extra overlay, that extra commentary on experience. The more you cultivate the habit, the more it becomes part of you. It doesn't mean that all the old tapes are going to stop, and you become a totally clear being that never gets angry or never gets uh, fearful. Although that is possible, it seems, but not for more than a handful of people on the planet, I think, who've finished all their, their work. But what is possible is that you don't have to react out of fear with them. And you see, you press the right button and The right tape comes out, tape number 37, panic. Oh, there's the panic tape again. Okay. And you start to make friends with it. Or here's the fear tape, or here's the sadness tape. And instead of trying to push it out of your mind, you give it space. Oh, that's the energy that's happening today. And you make friends with it the more familiar you are with it.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I can have compassion for a person in an open mind if all that anger they have is not directed towards me. When it's directed towards me, it becomes a different story. Um, I, how, how do I deal with something like that? I find it very difficult to have compassion for a person when
0: they're at me. It's not easy. <laughs> <laughs> Well as i said if you one place to start if you can't forgive the other person to start with forgiving yourself for not being able to forgive the other person just so that there's some kind of space opening of forgiveness in there somewhere and then starting to see what it is in their own conditioning that make makes them react the way they have what it is that that I've done. Maybe I've done something unskillful. Maybe not realizing it, or maybe it's just touched a certain spot in them. But whatever it is, it's set off an old pattern in them. And the more we can understand that, the more chance we have to to forgive. What you might also experiment with doing <clears throat> is being extra kind to this person. You might even give a gift to the person. It's one of the things that that's uh, talked about in Buddhist psychology because <clears throat> kindness, loving kindness, is the antidote to anger. It's very hard to hold on to your anger when somebody's giving you a gift. It's also very hard to stay angry when you're sharing and opening in that way. and So it doesn't have to be something elaborate, you might even just do something nice for the person and see see what, they're, what that does to the dynamic between you. It's very effective. Uh, and I know it's real hard to get over the initial, well I'll show, I'll show them, but it can be helpful. Because when you look at it, the anger hurts, it hurts you. Now, say you're angry at that other person, you don't see them for two weeks and there you are carrying it around in your mind, well I'll show them, I'll still be angry at them. They're going off maybe having a good time and there you are holding on to the anger. Who's, who's gaining from that? So you see that anger hurts, hmm, time to let go of this one. Time to feed some openness, some kindness or understanding into the system.
1: Yeah. Um, I think this is about conditioning and um, but more about positive feelings than negative feelings. Um, a moment of experiencing breathing, um, a moment perhaps of some clarity or some feeling of awareness. Then a feeling of flooding the, praise or giving thanks. And the way that, the the form that that takes, uh, (laughs) is uh, if you think of expressing something about Jesus, or something about the Buddha, uh, or some other metaphor that's very familiar to me, um, Native American, Great Spirit, uh, and so forth. And, uh, Part of me then starts to judge that and uh, question that, that uh, clarity of awareness. And then when I think about it later, I think uh, perhaps that's not consistent with the uh, Vipassana approach and so forth. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that sense of, of uh, worship or praise, um, I wondered if you'd comment on that.
0: Terry? Okay. <clears throat> First of all, where do all those thoughts of worship and praise come from? I don't
1: know. And I assume, perhaps, uh, when I think about it again my childhood, but, uh I'm not sure where they
0: come from. Okay. They're uh, all everywhere. And they're coming, they're arising in, in your mind. Okay. They're another thought. That can be a very opening thought, can be a very inspiring thought and a very lovely thought. It's just thought. And so not to attach any more importance over one kind of a thought than another kind uh, is, is um, is really the way of this particular practice. There can be an aspect of having a sense of awe, a celebration, that it's beyond it's beyond me, it's more than just me, and that gets into, into bordering on this worshipping, not so much worshipping an object, but just seeing the interconnectedness of it all, just the awesomeness of it all, which can, can be very uh, invigorating to the practice and actually the practice leads to that that sense of connection as the separation starts to dissolve but the separation dissolves by seeing through all those thoughts and it can be what a rotten yogi I am or it can be I'm really doing great it's the same because if you've got if you're taking credit for how good you're doing the other side of it is blaming yourself when you're not doing well. So not to, not to personify either with your own experience or with the experience of it's all too much, but just enjoy the, the awesomeness of it all and to keep on taking a look at what's going on in this moment.
1: next to the empty space, and you start to back in, and a little Volkswagen. <laughs> suppose it takes the only space available. What does the enlightened
0: person do in that space? <laughs> 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 There's no one, one way. If you can come, whatever your interaction, if you can respond in a way that's not filled with hatred or greed or delusion, then there's, then you're not causing more suffering for yourself or others. You might go up, I know I would probably, go up to the person and say, uh, I think I, I have this space first and I'd like you to have it. I'd like you to, to please give it to me sometimes if you say it with firm enough authority, it might work. If it's not, if it doesn't work and the guy is uh, six foot five and uh, has some chains, it's probably not the, uh, not the appropriate thing to do to get into a fight. Okay, there's that lesson. Now open up and be, look for the next space. Again, are you going to cause more suffering through inflicting more more anger and hatred, what's the price that you're going to pay? Does that mean, though, that, that you're going to always have to take a kind of a supine um, no. attitude and, and let people cut in ahead of you on the ski line? No. But in, it means, as as I mentioned before, responding appropriately out of a sense of kindness and firmness perhaps, instead of reacting out of more hatred and more greed, because that's just cultivating more suffering. You can be very firm, I, I can be very firm at times, and uh, it can be very effective, but if I'm cultivating more anger and hatred in it, there's a price that's not worth paying and so, at that point, if I don't get my way, okay, how can I wake up with this? What am I attached to? What is so important that's making me lose my center? And that's, that's the next lesson to be learned from it. Okay, it's about five after eight. <clears throat> There's a walking period. If you have more questions, you can come up. You can come up after. There's a walking period now for about 40 minutes. Mm. See if you can start to be continuous from the sitting to the walking. If you're tired or restless, you might take a a more natural-paced walk. If not, staying with the slower walking, and then we'll come back for one last sitting.
1: This talk was given by James Beres at Insight Meditation Society on June 9, 1983. It is an offering of the Dharma Seed
0: Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org
1: slash donate.